Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6, we're picking up this passage in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, a long sermon that the Lord Jesus preached. And here we're getting into an area in Matthew chapter 6 that, that Jesus is getting on to um, what we would characterize as integrity. Integrity is one of those characteristics that only God can produce in your life. God can produce integrity so that so much so that you are the same person on Friday as you are on Sunday, that you're the same person at home as you are at work, that you're the same person when nobody's watching as when all eyes are upon you. And God is the one who causes and creates and works within us that integrity. And integrity is something that comes from God. It is being true to who you are, true to who God has made you to be. And one of the qualities that God looks for in men and women today is integrity. In in integrity is one of those things that it's who you are when nobody's watching. Who are you when nobody's watching? It's your character. You know that you can you 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 can put um, a spin on it. You can lie about it. You can you know put different kinds of clothing on it or whatever. But character is what it is. Character is what it is. And so when when the Lord begins to get into uh, Matthew chapter six, he's, he's beginning to talk about our giving. But there is a, a a relational aspect to it. Let's pick it up in verse number one, Matthew six verse one. He said, "Take heed." that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Now, a couple of things that we're, I want you to see in this passage. Number one, the Lord is telling you not to do things to be seen of men. And one of the first things that we're confronted with is this uh, This. This problem is that most people have a desire to please men, to be seen of men, to have a a reputation that precedes them as they walk into a room. Oh, look, it's brother so-and-so. Oh, look, it's sister so-and-so. People love that attention. They love the affection and they love the reputation that oftentimes comes in religious circles. But a God-fearing saint desires not the praises of men. A God-fearing saint doesn't care for the praises of men, doesn't care for what people think, is not out to seek to please men and to get applause from men and to be seen highly and esteemed in the eyes of men, but to please God. Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, we taught you how you ought to walk and to please God. Our job primarily, first and foremost, as believers is to live a life in worship 
that pleases God. Everything that we do, from the way that we wake up to the way that we go to bed, the way that we dress, the way that we drive, the way that we work, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate with others, the way that we honor others, everything that we do should reflect towards God. It should be done in honor of God, and it should be done to please Him. Everything that we do. When we, when we see this at work in a person, it will create integrity. This in and of itself will create integrity. If everything that you do is done in order to please God, you'll have integrity. You won't be different on Friday night as you are right now. You won't, you won't have a different, uh, you won't have a different dictionary coming out your mouth on Friday night as you do on Sunday morning. You'll have the same dictionary. Amen. I remember whenever I got saved, I said, man, how am I going to do this? Because I'm so used to talking like this, and now I got saved. Now I got all these church friends. But it's amazing how when you give your life to God, he just takes all those things out. Amen? And he takes, he takes you into a place where you don't have to live a compartmentalized life. You can live the same way before him in the morning and in the evening. You can live the same way before him at noontime as at midnight. Amen? When nobody else is watching and and everybody else is asleep in the house and nobody else is around God is around God is around amen and so one of the one of the things that the Lord's bringing out in this he's 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 using giving as an example but what he's saying is look what you don't have to sound a trumpet because God sees He's thinking about the woman with the, with the two mites, the, the widow with the two mites that gave. The Lord Jesus magnified her because he saw her. He's God. He saw her what she gave. Amen? She didn't toot her horn. She didn't say, I'm giving all that I have to God. Hallelujah. She didn't do that. She just gave. And the Lord knew that that was all that she had. He knew that she was giving, amen, out of her lack and not out of the overflow. It wasn't like, you know, she had a stimulus, so she got an extra $20 to give now. She didn't have nothing, and she gave the nothing that she had, and the Lord saw that. But men, men on the other hand, when they're seeking to please other men, will toot their horn, as he said. You don't have to go around town blowing your trumpet, telling everybody what you've done. You don't have to put your name on the side of the pew. You don't have to do anything like that so that people know who you are and what you've done for God. In other words, you don't have to bring the selfie camera around with you in every good deed that you do for men. You can let God see it and let other people find out about it if God wants them to find out about it. This is one of the things that we see in the, in the Christian world today is people uh, have, you know, Christianity on selfie camera. And Christianity is never meant to be lived on a selfie camera. Christianity is meant to be lived to please God. If other people see it, that's great. You shouldn't hide it. You should be like Daniel. Whenever he prayed, they commanded him not to pray. He opened up the window and prayed anyways. He didn't care if they saw or not, but he didn't do it on a selfie camera and then blast it everywhere. So here's one of the things that we see is there's this, this, um, this call that God has on our lives that we're, we are to live as if we're pleasing God in all that we do and not in order to please men. One of the things that, that we're going to have to decide for our own lives is if our desire is to please men or not. 
What is the greatest desire of your life? Do you believe that your health, that your finances, that promotion, that success in life comes from men? Then you'll live to please men. If you think your life's going to be better when the right politician gets in office, then you're a man pleaser. You may not realize it yet. But I want you to know that God can, God can put his favor on you, God can protect you, and God can lift you up no matter who is in control of the government. I want you to know that God is not bound to only flourish when the certain political parties in power. I want you to know even if there was no political party in power, even if the nation was bankrupt and was no more, God could still take you, protect you, preserve you, and, 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 and help you in all that comes your way. I want you to know that God is not bound to only operate under certain politicians. When we, be, when we begin to see that our flourishing in life, that our favor in life comes from a man, we will begin to be men pleasers. But when we see that promotion comes from God, we will become a God pleaser. We will seek to serve him, to love him, to honor him, and to glorify him in all that we do, whether people see it or whether they don't, we know that God sees it. We know that God sees it, and if God sees it, then that's enough for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? If we're honoring God and pleasing God and God be for us, then no man can be against you. No devil, no demon, no principality can defeat you if God be in you, for you, and working through your life. God is greater. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. Amen? God is not going to be bound by men. God is the one who rules and reigns. Jesus said that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. That all power, he said all power in heaven and in earth has been given over to him. Amen? And then he sent you out. He commissioned you to go forth in the power of the gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to do all that God has called you to do. And we are not dictated by men. We can't only see that our lives will flourish when the right people see us and when the right people are on our side, but God will be for us no matter who is against us when we operate in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. It is Jesus teaching us this principle here is to have integrity in our walk in every manner of life. That not in 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 don't think it too small, but even in giving, we're supposed to not tell other people. We're not even supposed to tell ourselves. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand gives. How do you do that? I don't know. I still haven't figured that out, but it's one of those things that we're supposed to do. Did you're, not, you're just not supposed to walk around bragging about it, talking about it, letting other people know about it, shout about it, trumpet about it, but do it and let it be forgotten. Amen. Do what God calls you to do and, and let it be done. You don't have to bring it up. You don't, have to, you don't have to bring it up again. God already saw it. It's already registered in glory. It's already registered in heaven. That angel done took that pen, wrote it down. God, it's, it's recorded in glory. Amen? And you don't have to do anything else about it. And you know that there's more than that? It's not only in giving. It's not only in giving. It, it goes further. Watch this. In, in verse number five, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Okay. 
Now, we're not directly calling anybody a hypocrite. We're just going to see what the, the, the Lord Jesus says here, right? Okay. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So a hypocrite prays for men to see them pray. A hypocrite will pray so that other people will see them pray. This is one of those, you know, you don't, you don't have to throw out the theological thesaurus every time somebody calls on you to pray. Almighty God who flung the stars in the sky and knows everyone by name. You don't have to pray like that. You can just pray as the Spirit leads, as your heart, amen, is led by God. You can pray from your heart, not from a desire that people go, wow, that person knows some theological words. I've never heard that one before. I've never heard that one before. That You don't have to pray so that people will see you, amen? One of the most theological prayers you can pray is, Oh, God, help. Oh, God, be merciful. Oh, Lord, I need you now. I need you, God. And mean it. And mean it. Right? So here he says um, that hypocrites pray. They love to pray standing. And in the, in, in the, the Pharisees, they did this. This is what they did. This is one of, the, one of the charges that the Lord Jesus had against them is they had on the right robes. They had the right words. They went through the motions. They would clean their hands everywhere they went so that they would look pure on the outside. And they loved that other people would go, wow, that person has it all together. But on the inside, they were envious. They were lustful. They were boastful. They were prideful. They were corrupt. They were, they, they, they were full, as Jesus said, of dead men's bones. They were walking graves. Beautiful on the outside. Amen? Amen? You get a grave and you power wash it, look beautiful on the outside. That's what Jesus called them. That's what Jesus called them. Now watch this. Now, but the charge to the God pleaser is different. The man pleaser, that's his deal. You want to be a man pleaser? Just get out the thesaurus, thumb through it, stand up, let everybody see. You know how to pray. Let everybody in the whole world see it, Right? That's what Jesus said. That's what the man pleaser does. And it's not that public prayer is out the window, but there's a time and a place for everything. There's a time and a place for everything. One of the things that, that, you, should, uh, that you should take from this is that you should never let your public prayer life outrun your private prayer life. And secondarily, you should never let your, your public worship outrun your private worship what you mean i should worship at home yep you what you mean i should pray at home yep you mean i should just stand up and begin to worship god when nobody's watching yep well who's gonna see me think about it who's gonna see you but who's gonna notice god is Who's going to see you? God is. Who will notice? The Lord your God will notice. And do you know what? He will honor you for that because you won't have to put it on Facebook. You won't have to tell anybody. You won't have to pick up the phone and say, hey, guess what I just did? I just stood alone in my room and praised God and worshiped him and prayed. Hey, you just lost your reward. 
There should be times that we cut away from everybody else. Don't let anybody else see and begin to minister to the Lord. Just let it be between you and God. Say, God, this is just for you. Nobody else is going to know about this. Nobody else is ever going to see this. This is for you because I love you. I just want to worship you. Lord, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down and say that you're my God. Here I am to, to just glorify you and, and adore you and lavish my praises upon you. When was the last time that, that you've seen people in a church do that? God's raising up this kind of people. God is raising up this kind of people because it's going to take this kind of people that are sold out for God and not men. It's going to take that kind of a person to, to live the life that we're called to live in this generation. We're going to have to stand when the world is coming against us. We're going to have to stand under the power of God, but it's going to take courage. You're going to have to know that God's got you. And the only way you're going to know that is to have an intimate relationship with God is to have integrity in your walk with God. So don't ever let your, 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 your public prayer life outrun your private prayer life, right? If you spend an hour with God in public, you should spend at least an hour or more in private. In the same thing we worship, we should worship more in private than we do in public. Otherwise, what we're doing is to be seen of men. Well, brother, you don't know. Come on now. God knows when the last time we shut everybody else out and just begin to stand up and worship him at home when nobody was looking. God knows how many times we've done that. God knows how many times we've prayed like that when nobody was looking. So it is the hypocrite that stands to be, to be seen of men. And now I'm, I'm going to take somewhere. We're, we're, we're going to go somewhere with that. I want you to hear that. It's the hypocrite that prays to be seen by men. Does that matter to you? Does that matter to you? To be seen of men. To be seen of men. This, this is one of those things that, that many people can't cross they struggle with that because there's a desire that other people will say, man, that they have an awesome walk with God. What if nobody ever says that about you? What if nobody ever encourages you? What if nobody ever pats you on the back? What if nobody ever thinks that you're doing well? What if nobody else ever thinks that you're faithful? Would you still worship God? Would you still pursue God? Jonathan Edwards, he, had, he was famous because he, he made resolutions, you know. And, and, and one of the resolutions was, even if nobody else worships God, even if nobody else loves God, I still will. What about that resolution? What if nobody, what if nobody else thinks that you're faithful? What if nobody else thinks that you're worth your salt? What if nobody else thinks that you do anything for God and, and God just kind of keeps you secluded? Would you still honor God with every breath that you have? even though nobody knows about it, even though nobody thinks that you are, right? One of, the, one of my mentors, whenever I was, uh, you know, growing in faith, one of them, he said, he, he said, if you are who God calls you to be and you have integrity, you won't have to put a bumper sticker on your car telling everybody you're a Christian. They'll know it by your love for God. They'll know it by the testimony of your life.
They'll know it, amen, through knowing you. They'll know that you have a relationship. You don't have to tell. Now, I'm not, I'm not per se against bumper stickers. I'm just saying our lives should be a bumper sticker. Our lives should be a bumper sticker. Our lives should be a t-shirt that says God reigns. Our life should be a testimony that says God still saves people. Amen. I'm all for the shirts that says God saves. He does save. But our lives, the, the testimony of your life, the way that you communicate with other people, the way that you live, people should be able to say, you know what? God did an awesome thing in that person's life. I'm, you know, they, they, they worship God when nobody's looking. I've seen them do this. I've seen them do that but even if nobody sees would you still worship God the hypocrite lives and thrives off the applause of men they do the hypocrite lives and thrives off the applause of men look at verse 6 Jesus said but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut the door Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now think about that. How's anybody going to see you if you go in your closet? And, he, and the Lord, you know, didn't want to leave any room for imagination. He said, go in the closet and shut the door. It's not go in the closet and leave the camera running. Look at me in my prayer closet. It is go in the closet, shut the door. In other words, don't, you don't have to tell people, hey, I'm going to the prayer closet right now. Time me. Watch this. It's just going and praying and shutting the door and not, not telling everybody, not announcing it, not letting everybody know. Amen? And what, what is that? That's just a time you're offering to God. It's a prayer you're offering to God because you know that God sees in secret. How is anybody else going to know that I'm praying if I don't tell them? It's supposed to be God that knows. It's supposed to be that God's the one, the object of our desire, the object of our worship, the object that we desire to please. It should be God. And if God truly is the object of our worship, we don't have to, and we must have times where we don't tell others. There must be times that you don't tell other people that you're praying. There must be times that you cut away from everybody else and begin to worship God without telling a soul, knowing and trusting that God sees it. Now, not everything that we do should be done for reward. Sometimes we should just worship and pray to God because we love God and because we want to be with God. But being practical about it, most people only do to get. But if you'll see this, if you'll see this principle that God is, is calling his children to begin to pray with no one looking. There is so much power in prayer when you pray to please God rather than to please men. There's so much power in it. What is it? What is it about it? Jesus is teaching us to be content with this fact. If God sees us, it's okay. Jesus is teaching us to be content with this fact. Does God see me? Does God know what I'm going through? Does God understand what I'm up against? Yes. 
Yes, He does. He is merciful. He is loving. He is all-seeing. And when we understand that and know that, then we will begin to go to our prayer closet and shut the door and not tell a soul because we know that our God who sees in secret understands and sees us. Do you know that God sees you? Do you know that God sees every single thing that you do? Do you know that God sees what you watch on TV? Do you know that God sees when you gossip? Do you know that God sees when you doubt? Do you know that God sees when we do and say things that we know we shouldn't do or say? Do we know that God sees when we worship, when we prayed, when we read our word? Do we know that God sees us from our rising to our sleeping? Well, I'm just not too comfortable with the fact that God sees me all the time, Pastor. But let me introduce you to God. He's everywhere. He's all-seeing, all-knowing. He always has been and he always will be. He preceded us and he'll outlast us. He's the author and the creator and the finisher of our faith. Amen? He is the creator and the sustainer of all life. And he's our God. And he sees what you're going through. To me, there's a, there's a powerful dynamic that Jesus is teaching the church here that we, we need to see and understand is this fact that God sees us. And, and he, was teaching these, the, the, he was teaching the church to not be like the hypocrites, but there's power in going the other way. There's power in knowing that no matter what I'm going through, God knows it, God understands it, God sees it. If God sees it, then I know he understands, and I know that he'll supply my every need because the Bible says that, that, that he supplies my needs according to his riches and glory. That's not talking about driving a Lexus or getting a two-story home. That's talking about God ministering to you when you're going through through the fire. That's talking about God ministering to you when you're living in a drought. That's talking about God sustaining you when all the wind and all the forces of earth are coming against you that God will help you to stand like that old palm tree. The wind may blow it over but the roots are so strong and so deep and they run so far that when the wind is done that palm tree just comes right back up. God is the one that will sustain you and help you to weather whatever you're going through and so he's teaching the other end of the spectrum don't be like the hypocrites that only do things to be seen of men but know and understand God sees what you're going through God understands your dilemmas. God understands the trial. He understands that the, the fiery furnace is hot. Amen. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to go in the fiery furnace. God understood it. God saw it and God hopped in there with them. They said, you know, they, they told Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? If we die, we die. If, if the fire consumes us, it consumes us. But we're not going to bow down to you. We're not going to bow down. What, they knew that God saw them. They knew that God would honor that faith. And they weren't going to compromise their faith in order to please a man because they knew God was watching. God saw them. And if they had to go into the furnace, they would either A, wake up in glory, or B, God would sustain them in the fire. And I'm telling you that I don't know what you're going through, but either A, you're going to wake up in glory on the other side of it, or B, God's going to come down there in that fiery furnace with you, and God's going to be merciful to you 
and sustain you through what you're going through because God sees you, he loves you, he's for you, and if God be for you, no one can be against you. God sees you. Do you know that God sees you? Turn with, turn with me, if you will, over in, back in the book of Genesis chapter 16. We're going to go back in the Old Testament for a bit. Genesis chapter 16. We talk about the story of Sarah and Hagar. And, it, and, and in this story, most people root for Sarah. And it's okay to root for Sarah. Sarah, she doubted God for a minute. And she told Abraham, you know what? God said that we were going to have a baby, but it just ain't happening with me. So here's my handmaid. And Abraham married Hagar. This is out of the will of God. God didn't authorize it. God didn't tell them to do it. They just did it. How many times have you ever done something you know you just did it? You didn't get clearance from heaven. They didn't get clearance from heaven on this. And it created, it created an issue. How many of you know sometimes when you just do things on your own without clearance from heaven, it creates more problems? It's the nature of sin. It creates issues. It creates issues. It, it, and, and just like with David and Bathsheba, it created an issue, and their baby died from it. That's a lot of heartache. That's a, lot, that's a burden that they had to carry all their life. It's a burden they had to carry all their life. Because of their sin, their child died. It's a burden. But sin always produces these things. It always produces hardships, and, and it makes things harder than it should be. And, and, and whenever uh, Sarah had this bright idea to bring Hagar into the family, and then Hagar, you know, became pregnant, then she was having second thoughts. And then she began to despise Hagar. She began to despise Hagar for doing what she had hired Hagar to do. In other words, she was regretting it. But Hagar, it wasn't her fault. She got brought into this. She got brought into it. You know, sometimes you get involved in situations that's out of your control. That was Hagar. It, this, this situation was out of her control. And back, back in the day, there was no, I don't know, I'm going to wait for the next guy. This was a different world. This was a different world. And so Hagar gets thrust into this situation, and she ends up coming, becoming a wedge between Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah's ready to get rid of her. You know, that's how the world is. When the world's had its way with you, the world casts you to the gutter. Is when you know how this is how you know when, when when sin runs its course in our life. It just it's there to destroy, it's there to 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 bring demise and darkness and shame and, and when sin it casts it off. Cast it off. It says in verse uh, verse number four. Let's look at verse four. It says he went in unto Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, this is her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarah began to despise her. Look at verse 5. And, and, and Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. She put it right on him. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes. She turned it around. 
Sarah said she'd despise me, but it was actually the reverse. It was actually the reverse. The Lord judged between me and thee. In other words, Sarah's blaming Abraham for the issue at hand. But Abraham, Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. When Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Hagar didn't do anything wrong. Hagar didn't do anything wrong. But because of the wrong that, that they did, Sarah began to deal hardly with her and caused her to run for help. And, and, and look at verse number 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. The angel of the Lord, that's Jesus in this passage. She, and, and, and I want you to catch this. Hagar did nothing wrong. Hagar got brought into the situation. She got dealt wrongly, and she was cast off. She was dealt harshly. How many of you know you can, you can drive someone out of your life by treating them very badly? She was, she was treated horribly. And she ran for help. She ran for shelter, and she found some fountain out in the middle of nowhere, and, and nobody else was around, and she thought, well, you know what? At least I'll die out here rather than being treated so hard and so bad by those people. But guess what? God found her. Do you know that there was never a moment in Hagar's life when God wasn't with her? But he revealed himself to her, when she was going through the fire. She was going through a hardship. She was going through a, a situation that nobody would like to go through, that nobody would like to repeat, that nobody would even like to talk about or imagine themselves going through. She was going through such a hard time, and God said, hey, I'm here. Hey, God, is God always there? Yes. Is God omnipresent? Yes. Is God always there? Yes. But God showed himself supernaturally to her right when she thought she was all alone in the middle of the desert and nobody else was there. Nobody cares. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I could try to tell them. I could try to explain the situation to them. But sure as I try to talk about it, I'm not going to get it out right. They're not going to understand the severity of my situation. They're not going to understand the depth of the darkness that I go through and God told her I see you I'm with you he revealed himself in the middle of her darkness he revealed himself in the middle of her darkness the, the Lord began to minister to her, began to encourage her, began to tell her, look, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to raise them up. And that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother passage. But look, let's skip down to verse number 13. After the Lord spoke to her, look, it says, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. In other words, that's Jehovah Rohi. The God who sees me. Thou God seest me. For she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called Berlaha Roi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. What happened there? The Lord spoke 
to Hagar in the middle of being thrust into a painful situation and in the painful situation overcoming her, bearing down upon her and driving her out into a wilderness situation where nobody else was around. The angel of the Lord all of a sudden shows up, shows out, ministers to her, comforts her, gives her a word of encouragement, gives her a prophetic word and she turns around and says, have I seen the God who sees me? Have I seen the God whose eye is upon me? As you take that over to the New Testament, you know that God's eye is on the sparrow and you know of his eyes on the sparrow that he's watching over me, that he's watching over our soul. We know that if God watches over birds, we know that he watches over us because birds were not created in the image of God. People were. And Hagar is a person that God loves, and you are a person that God loves. And just like Hagar, she's not any more special than you. In fact, you can have a more intimate walk with God because you live on this side of the cross. A way has been made before you that was not available prior to the cross. You can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy in your time of need because God loves you and he cares for you. And as we see right here, he sees you. He is the all-seeing God. He sees us when we rise and he sees us when we lie down. See, this is one of those things that creates integrity when you know that God's watching. When you know that God sees, but it also comforts you because in our hardships, see, Daniel knew that even if he got thrown in the den of lions, God was watching, God would take care of him. Shadrach, Meshach, and they knew God's watching, God's going to take care of me. David knew when he stood before Goliath, he knew God's watching. God, he's not going to allow this, this Philistine to defy the, the living God. All of the saints of God come to that realization that they've seen. You know what? God is Jehovah Roy. He's the one who sees. He is the all-seeing God. And I want you to I want you to know this. No matter your hardship, God sees you. God, it, 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 and, and if God sees you, I want you to know this. His mercy is available for you. His mercy is available for you. It, it is in the winter time that you truly understand God's grace. See, when everything's going great, when everything's going well, when everything is, is functioning the way it should function, then you don't really think about it. It's only when you get thrust into a bad situation and it drives you out into a wilderness that you truly need to know God sees you. God knows what you're going through, that God understands what you're going through. And I want you to know this. God will walk through that fire with you. Well, I don't want to go through the fire. Every saint of God has to go through the fire. Well, I don't want to go through it. Every saint of God has to go through it. We live in a fallen world. We live for a holy God in an unholy world. We're going to go through hardships and we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through the darkness, but God will be a light 
for our path. God will guide us in the night. God will comfort us when the world turns upside down and we don't know our left from our right. God's graceful hand will steady the ship. God will comfort your heart when everybody else walks away, when everybody else turns their back on you. God will come and he will put his hand upon your shoulder and he will say, child, I see you. I'm with you, I'm for you, and I'm beside you. He will uphold you in your hour of need. Amen? He will uphold you in your hour of need. Now turn, turn with me, if you will, over to John chapter number 1. I told you that the angel of the Lord there in that passage is Jesus. One of the best Bible studies you can do is go through the Old Testament, look up the passages, angel of the Lord. Oftentimes, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus. That's how God would come down and minister back in the Old Testament. Call him Christophanes. In John chapter 1, the awesome passage whenever Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel, when Jesus calls them, I want you to see something. I want you to see that Jesus is the God who sees you. It's not just an Old Testament passage. But just like Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, we're supposed to give because God sees in secret. We're supposed to pray because God sees in secret. I want you to see God sees everything. Let's look at verse 43. It says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, findeth Philip, saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. That's a good witnessing technique. What you mean? You go to that crazy church? Come try it out. <laughs> come see. And he just said, Hey, I, I don't know about this Jesus of Nazareth guy. And, and, and the response was, Come see. Come see. Well, what happened? What happened? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. This is high praise. An Israelite indeed, Jesus didn't often give this commendation to anybody. He didn't. This, this guy is true. This guy's heart is right. There, there's, no, there, there's no misdeed in him. There's no uh, guile. There's no you know, error in, in that walk that he has. Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before the Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I saw thee. Commentary said this is something that God, if, if, that Jesus, if he was strictly only a human, would not be able to do. This is something, if, if he was just a prophet, if he, was just, if he was just a man, then that's it. If he wasn't the God-man, he wouldn't be able to do this. But because he is God incarnate, because he's fully God and fully man, because he is God in the flesh, he is able to see in the secret. He's able to see what no one else sees. He's able to see Nathaniel when no one else was there. 
And they said under those fig trees, a lot of times that's when people would go and they would study and they would open up the scrolls and they would have prayer time alone when without anybody around. They would just kind of go and hide out under the tree and have a time with God. And he said, I saw you when you were there. What's the response? Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. I mean, as soon as he knew that Jesus saw him in the secret, he knew he's not just a man. As soon as he realized that this Jesus that was before his eyes saw his ever-living breath, saw him in the secret places, saw him in the valley, saw him on the mountaintop, saw him when he was hiding, saw him every time. Every, he knew this is not just a man. This is the Son of God. This is, this is God on the earth. This is God on the earth. This is the Son of God. And I want you to know this tonight. If you're in the valley tonight, I want you to know God sees you. I want you to know that God loves to pour out his mercy when we're in the valley. To know and understand and trust this fact that God sees you, he understands, and he's made himself available to you. Just like he came to Hagar and he appeared and he showed out and he showed who he was, I want you to know through the cross of Calvary, God has made himself available to you. He said that you can come boldly to him through Jesus Christ. You can come and obtain mercy in your time of need, and when you'll begin to believe and act on that faith, God will make himself very real to you right now tangibly literally God will come into your life and give you the comfort the mercy and the help in your hour of desperation in the hour of darkness in the time that you're in the valley God will come down in that valley with you and he'll hold your hand and he'll walk through that with you and you'll be able to say like David did in Psalm he said yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil why for thou art with me God will come down in that valley he will be with you he will comfort you and he will guide you and he will get you to the other side in Jesus name